Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Christ is born, glorify him. I will also say to you, Christ is circumcised because today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the feast of our Lord's circumcision. Also the feast of St. Basil. We have a double celebration, so don't be taking down the tree and the Christmas decorations just yet because those decorations and that tree represent not just the birth of Christ, but in a bigger way, his incarnation, his divine condescension. In other words, this whole era, this whole season, this whole process of his lowering himself, taking on flesh. And he did it in stages, first being conceived in the womb of a virgin, and then being born in a cave, laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. Pretty humiliating, isn't it? Pretty humble. Well, that process would continue, and it's going to continue, and we're going to talk about it, and that's why we shouldn't take down our decorations just yet. We're in the season of the Incarnation for quite some time yet. Also, as I mentioned, the Feast of St. Basil the Great. What a great way to start the year. Well, we start out with a bang in our Byzantine liturgical calendar with this double celebration. It's also hard to imagine that we are in our 18th year here at Light of the East. That's right, 18 years. Thank all of you who have been with us since the beginning, or partway through, or just recently, whatever. Tell your friends about us. We are one of the most significant voices for the Eastern Lung of the Church. That's right, because we've been around for 18 years on radio and podcast. So again, I appreciate it. And I thank God that we're starting off yet another new year, being able to proclaim through this medium of radio, the good news of Jesus Christ as lived out through the ancient riches of the Eastern Lung of the Church. As I mentioned, it's the Feast of St. Basil. See, this month in January, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we celebrate three great fathers of the Church from the East, St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, and St. Gregory the Theologian. Now, they each have their own feast day this month, but then at the end of the month, 
On January 30th, we celebrate them all together. The reason for this is because fights used to break out about which one of them was the greatest. You know, there were the St. John Chrysostom fans, and there was the St. Basil fans, and then the St. Gregory fans. And in order to keep the peace, what the church did was they put them all together on one day. They each had their own feast, but then they put them all together one day. This came as a revelation in a dream to the archbishop, the patriarch of Constantinople, and the three great hierarchs said from heaven, as they appeared to him in a dream, that, look, we've got to stop the fighting. We're all the same. We're all equal. So no one of us is greater than the other. So this was the solution they came up with, to celebrate them all together on one feast day, yet they still had their own separate feast days. Now, a little bit about St. Basil the Great. He was born in the reign of the Emperor Constantine in about 330 AD. While still unbaptized, he spent 15 years in Athens studying philosophy, rhetoric, astronomy, and other contemporary secular disciplines. Among his fellow students was Gregory the Theologian and Julian, later the apostate emperor. When already of mature years, Basil was baptized in the Jordan together with his former tutor, Evulius. He was bishop of Caesarea in Cappadocia for nearly 10 years and died at the age of 50. A great champion of the true faith, a great torch of moral purity and zeal for faith, a great theological mind and a great builder and pillar of the church of God, Basil fully deserved the title, The Great. Now in the office for the Byzantine church, he is referred to as a bee of the church of Christ, bringing honey to the faithful, but stinging those in heresy. Many of the writings of this father of the church have survived, theological, apologetic, on asceticism, and on the canons. There is also the liturgy that bears his name. This liturgy is celebrated 10 times in the year, on January 1st, on the eves of Christmas and Theophany, on every Sunday in the Great Fast, with the exception of Palm Sunday, and on the Thursday and Saturday in Great Week, which is also called Holy Week. St. Basil departed this life peacefully on January 1st, 379 A.D., and entered into the kingdom of Christ. Basil was very instrumental in defending the faith, as you just heard, and also in developing monasticism. In fact, his rule of monasticism was what St. Benedict brought to the Western lung of the church. Benedict is one of the great fathers of monasticism in the Western European region, and obviously that spirit spread all over the world into a magnificent order of the Benedictines. St. Benedict basically based his rule of monastic life and rule on that of St. Basil the Great. So we have a, a great man here, deservedly called great. He also was a great proponent of the true faith. He was a man of asceticism, and he wrote the Eucharistic prayer, which we call in the Eastern churches the anaphora, which means offering. He wrote that prayer, and therefore the liturgy that we just spoke about is named after him. The liturgy that we use most commonly in the Byzantine church is that of St. John Chrysostom, because again, St. John Chrysostom wrote the anaphora or the Eucharistic prayer for that liturgy. The, the two liturgies are very, very, very similar. They just differ slightly in the anaphora, the Eucharistic prayer. St. Basil's is longer than St. John Chrysostom's. Both of them are just beautiful in their depth and their phraseology, but Basil's is a little bit longer, a little more descriptive, but both are magnificent. So that's a little bit about St. Basil the Great. But we also have today the Feast of Our Lord's Circumcision. And I'm going to read a little bit about that, as I just did from this book we call the Synaxarian, or the Prologue of Okra. This is a book I highly recommend for anyone who really wants to follow or learn more about the Eastern churches, our liturgical calendar. That's the best way to, to learn about us. 
This is a book that talks about Saint or Feast Day every day in the Eastern churches. And it has some little homilies and also some other meditations along with those accounts of the saints. It's a very, very informative book, one of my favorites. I read out of that a lot on this program because it's so informative. So for the Feast of the Circumcision, it says this, On the eighth day after his birth, the divine child was taken to the temple and duly circumcised according to the Jewish law that had been observed from the time of Abraham. At this time, he was given the name Jesus, the name announced to the Most Holy Virgin by the Archangel Gabriel. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The baptism of the new covenant was prefigured in the circumcision of the old covenant. Now, that's very important. The baptism of the new covenant, in other words, your baptism, if you're baptized, and mine, was prefigured in the circumcision of the old covenant. So in other words, the law of circumcision in the Old Testament gives rise to or foreshadows the law of baptism in the New Testament. The Lord's circumcision shows that he took true human flesh upon himself, not in its semblance, as heretics later taught of him. The Lord was truly circumcised desiring thus to fulfill all the law which he himself had given through our forefathers and the prophets. And that's another important point. Our Lord submitted himself to his own laws. His laws were for humans and for sinners, not for God, not for himself. God was the law. He was the order of creation. He established it, not us. And yet he would submit himself to that. Now, this is what I meant when I said at the beginning of the program, don't take down those Christmas decorations. We're still in the season of the incarnation. It's a kind of a continuous descending by God, descending first coming from heaven to be born on earth in a cave and a manger to then endure laws, and some were painful and involved blood-like circumcision, to endure those laws which were meant for his creatures, not for the creator. But he submitted himself anyway And this process of his own descending is going to continue through the season of the incarnation all the way it will then take on another form in the season of Lent and then Pascha, Easter. So it's continually a process of Christ descending and then his ascending. But he doesn't ascend until he saves us. He goes rock bottom, below rock bottom. He goes even into Hades to hell breaks the bonds of Hades, the devil, and grabs Adam and Eve, as we see in the icon, the herring of hell, grabs Adam and Eve and all those who could not enter heaven yet until Christ opened the doors of heaven, paid the ransom for us by defeating death and Satan's power. So think of it as this continuous descending, and that's what we're in now. But that descending is also an incarnation It's the great mystery. It's not a depressing thing that the word descending sounds or condescending sounds kind of negative, but actually it's a glorious thing. It shows God's outpouring of love that he would stoop this way and he would incarnate himself. This is good news. He would bring his very presence and infuse it into his own creation. This is good news. But the way he did it was by condescending, humiliating himself. That's how he did it. He did it all for us. Okay, the Synexarian says this, fulfilling all the ordinances of the law, Christ superseded them by baptism in his church. For as the apostles declare, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avail anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That's from Galatians chapter 6, verse 15 of St. Paul's epistles. In the church calendar, this feast, the Lord has neither forced feast nor 
after feast. It just has one day. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the significance of our Lord's circumcision, his process of condescending, what that has to do with us, how that is relevant to us. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Did you know there was a time when St. Nicholas wasn't so jolly? It was in 325 AD when the bishops gathered in Nicaea for the first ecumenical council. That council was called to answer the false teachings of a priest named Arius. He wrongly taught that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God. He even sang a song with the words, There was a time when he, Christ, was not. So when Arius repeated those lyrics to the council fathers, I got a little hot under my clerical collar, and I angrily walked up and slapped Arius right in the face. Everyone was shocked. But after regaining my composure, I rejoined the other bishops to approve the Nicene Creed, the same creed that defends the divinity of Christ to this very day. So if you think you're not the stuff saints are made of, just remember, I didn't become jolly old Saint Nick overnight. <laughs> Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bishop Earl Boyer for WJKNAM and W227BYFM, Good Shepherd Catholic Radio in Jackson, Michigan, and you're listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Again, I greet you with a happy or blessed new year. That is the civil new year, not the liturgical new year. But it's a great day nonetheless. And liturgically, it's a very rich day in the Byzantine church because it is the feast of our Lord's circumcision and also St. Basil the Great. Those of you in the Latin Rite, this also was a feast day for you a while ago. And I think it might still be on your calendar, kind of maybe understated. It was also a feast day of our Lord's circumcision for you as well, this feast of January 1st, this day of January 1st. Now, about circumcision, the why behind it. First, we go to the, the Bible, chapter 17 of Genesis. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God the Almighty. Walk in my presence and be blameless between you and and me, I will establish my covenant, and I will multiply you exceedingly. When Abram prostrated himself, God continued to speak to him. My covenant with you is this. 
You are to become the father of a host of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I am making you the father of a host of nations. I will render you exceedingly fertile. I will make nations of you. Kings shall stem from you. I will maintain my covenant with you and your descendants after you throughout the ages as an everlasting pact to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land in which you are now staying, the whole land of Canaan, as the permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, On your part, you and your descendants after you must keep my covenant throughout the ages. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you that you must keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcise the flesh of your skin, and that shall be the mark of the covenant between you and me. Throughout the ages, every male among you, when he is eight days old, shall be circumcised, including houseborn slaves and those acquired with money from any foreigner who is not of your blood. Yes, both the household slaves and those acquired with money must be circumcised. Thus, my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting pact. If a male is circumcised, that is, if the flesh of his foreskin has not been cut away, such a one shall be cut off from the people. He has broken my covenant. Now, there's a lot in here. We sometimes wonder, because we tend to look back and read back today, unfortunately. This is not a good practice, but we do it. We tend to look back at things in the Old Testament, in the Bible, in history, and we tend to judge them according to our standards today. But we have to understand, first of all, this is God's standard. This is the Bible, okay? Whether we like it or not, we don't look back on it and wonder, well, gee, why would God make that bloody painful mark to be the sign of his covenant with us? Well, if we think about it, it makes perfect sense, and it foreshadows a lot of things about Christ. Notice it says, on the eighth day. What does the eighth day refer to? We refer to the resurrection of Christ as the eighth day. That's right, because it stands out of time. It transcends all time. It's like even though there's seven days in the week, we, we call this day the eighth day. It is an extraordinary day. And it is then on the eighth day that God commanded that a boy be circumcised after his birth because he was setting us up to align us with this idea that to be circumcised meant to be cut away, to be consecrated, to be something different and special. That mark would make you special, belonging to God. And so it was with Christ's death and resurrection. And that's why we call Sunday the eighth day. And that is in fulfillment of what God only anticipated or hinted at in the Old Testament when he told Abraham, make the circumcision on the eighth day. Also, he used the term being cut apart, being cut away. In other words, consecrated. That's what consecration actually means. It means to be cut apart. Think of the word consecrated, like segregate, to push or leave apart, because it's special, something holy. It's a mark that says we belong to God. That happened among the Jewish people, but it also now happens among us as Christians. And that happens in the sacrament of baptism. What is involved in this circumcision action, whether in the Old Testament whether by physical blood and pain or by sacramentally through baptism, what is common there? What's common there is a cutting away, a dying away, and a rising to a new self. The other thing that's common there is pain and blood, both physically but also in baptism, spiritually, sacramentally, mystically. 
In other words, we, we die. There's a part of us that is cut off, cut away, and we die to our old self, the natural self, the part that is prone to original sin, and we rise to a new people, a new people with a covenant, a promise, a union with God. That union becomes very fulfilled and intimate now with Christ. In the Old Testament, is, of course, it was Yahweh and the Jewish people. Here, it is Christ and all who are baptized into him. Now, notice also where this circumcision happens. This action of being cutting away happens. It happens in the place where a man becomes father and lover. Very, very specific. God told Abraham, you will become a father of a nation, of many people. And circumcision would be a sign of that in the place where a man fathers a child. It's all very providential. See, this is what we call the theology of the body. God himself <laughs> uses theology of the body. In other words, he takes our body and aligns it with or makes it a manifestation of something spiritual. So in this case, the cutting away, the blood and pain in that part of a man is also symbolic of his spiritual fatherhood, which will require pain and blood in many ways, sacramentally speaking, mystically speaking, but also sometimes physically speaking. You know, I remember growing up with my father, he always had skinned knuckles because he was always doing something for the family, fixing things. Back then, all guys could fix their cars. You can climb right into the engines under the hood back then. There was so much room in them and guys could fix their own cars. My dad was always building, fixing, doing things to keep the household going. And sometimes he'd skin his knuckles in that process. Well, it's not just skin knuckles, but it's any kind of sacrifice a father, a man makes on behalf of his bride and his children. And many times it does take blood sacrifice. In fact, men don't live as long as women on the whole. It's because the nature of their giving is one of spending themselves, in a sense, dying to themselves. And that dying can actually include physical death or from injury, which would involve blood, or it is a mystical or sacramental death. But nonetheless, fatherhood is a way of being creative, in other words, generative, creating new life, planting a seed, but also raising and defending that life. And the covenant with God in the Old Testament gives rise now to the covenant between us and Christ, and a father lives out that covenant by him being a husband and a father in a way that is sacrificial. And so the mark, as St. Thomas Aquinas even said, the mark that begins in that part of a man that marks him in relationship to Christ, to God, in other words, the circumcision, that mark, that blood is like a stream that goes on Christ upward and connects where his very heart is, his side, the blood from his side. There's like a flow. And oftentimes you see that on some of the great classic paintings of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see the blood coming from his side, trickling down like a little stream to the place of circumcision. It's very significant. What it's saying is that what began in that part of a man's generativity, of his fatherhood, finds its completion in his heart the very heart of him. And that's what happened with Jesus Christ. Pain and blood in the place where a man creates, procreates, is what was the mark of belonging to God in the Old Testament, still the mark of belonging to Christ. Only now the circumcision 
It can be practiced according to one's choice, the choice of the parents in terms of physical circumcision. But the one thing it is for sure, circumcision is practiced in baptism. It's that cutting away, it's that being consecrated. The same thing happens in religious orders. The nuns or the monastics oftentimes have their hair cut during the process of them being entered into the monastery officially. This is called tonsure. It's sometimes even used in the process towards ordination. I remember when I was ordained, my first step was to be tonsured. It's basically kind of a monastic practice, but it tends to mean the same thing. You are being called to the priesthood, consecrated. You're going to be cut away. And so they cut the hair that is symbolic of that. But that's what baptism does too in a mystical way. So on this feast day of our Lord's circumcision, what we're seeing is this. We're seeing God's divine condescension. We're seeing his lowering, his humility, his humbling of himself in process. Remember, it goes in stages. We have more stages to come yet. So again, don't take down that Christmas tree yet. But in that process of his condescension is actually his love that he would submit with such humility to his own laws, even the point of pain and blood, for our sake, for our salvation. And we, in turn, share in that love, in that process of our Lord's condescension and ascension through the sacramental life of the church and through the feast days like today, the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also the feast of St. Basil the Great. Once again, blessed New Year. Keep those decorations, those lights going. We're still in the glorious period of our Lord's incarnation and divine condescension. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!